0: Hey, this is Lizelle. And I'm Krista. And you're listening to Women Who Start Up Radio, a show about innovative, adventurous female entrepreneurs. Today we're talking with Lauren Castile, the president and CEO of the Women's
1: Foundation of Colorado. Lauren is this wonderful, warm person who just really exudes this idea of community and you can tell has so much love for, for people around her. Mama Bear style. Mama bear.
0: Um, <laughs> carrying the world on your shoulders, kind. I know the kind. Built for the load. Damn yeah. <laughs> Is it wrong that I really want her as my grandma? You see her and she wants to embrace you. Yeah, she said the word Kindness. mama bear.
1: And that was what I felt when she yeah, said that. Like, I was like, hug me.
0: <laughs>
2: Hello, I'm Lauren Castile, and I'm president and CEO of the Women's Foundation of Colorado.
0: So Lauren was born in where?
2: I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, and yet only lived there for three months. Uh, My family then moved to Atlanta, Georgia because of professional opportunities my parents had.
0: Since a very young age, Lauren was really influenced by social justice, the civil rights movement.
1: Yeah, she grew up, she you know, she spent her young years in Atlanta you know, during the time of, of segregation. So she talks about the Jim Crow laws and going into a restaurant where there was a colored section. So
2: I spent my most formative years in Atlanta, and we have to remember that that was 1953 until 1960. So that was the segregated South. And even though I lived in a loving community, There is an internalized pain that one begins to take of being less that you know, that one can have of simply being less than. And you push through it. My parents were amazing in helping me um, to do that. And I was very privileged that their education, um, which was exceptional at that time, gave me that pathway.
1: Her parents both started as educators and then both became involved in social change. Profoundly. I mean, not like no, not
0: social like, workers, like profoundly. Martin Luther King.
2: I know. My father had planned on being a doctor, and um, when he returned from the war, when he was on the ship coming back from World War II, uh, he wrote a letter to my mother uh, describing his having been asked to uh, mediate between the white officers and the black Uh, all-black troops, and that he had decided as a result of that experience um, that he wanted to shift his focus of life from medicine uh, to social work and uh, to creating a different reality of equity and equality within America. My father had been a part of the Urban League in Omaha and was awarded a fellowship. He had been tapped by some corporations and others who were looking for new leadership at the National Urban League office in New York, which was one of the oldest historical and civil rights organizations. And so we moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where my father was allowed to study at Harvard for a year.
1: So Lauren really goes from one extreme to the other. First, she's in a safe, protected community in Atlanta, you know, surrounded by sameness, and then she goes to Cambridge, Massachusetts and becomes the only black student in a, like, all-girl finishing school.
2: Um, The name kind of says it, Buckingham School for Girls. Um, (laughs) And um, I was the only African-American student now. So my, my world reversed. I found myself suddenly going from this small neighborhood to a very elite private school.
0: Lauren finds herself so young, in second grade, in complete isolation. But all it takes is one person to take you under their wing. And that was her teacher.
2: There was uh, one African-American teacher at the school, and she happened to teach the second grade. And when my mother took me in, um, as a part of the admissions process, um, she told her that she was concerned that because uh, I had been in segregated schools, I hadn't had the same exposure to literature and some other things that other students might have had, and so my reading was kind of behind. And the teacher, Uh, Betty Rollins, who was my second grade teacher, told my mother not to worry um, that she would take care of me. And Betty Rollins instilled in me a sense of joy and wonder and curiosity about learning.
1: So Lauren is relocated again for grade three and ends up in an all-Jewish community.
2: We moved to New York. I'm now in third grade, third school, third state. And uh, I enrolled, I was enrolled then again in a new school where I found myself as the only African-American student for my first two years until busing began when I was in fifth grade. But even then, I was the only student of color who lived in the neighborhood. And it was a largely, predominantly Jewish neighborhood. And I must say that um, I was completely embraced um, by my friends and by um, the community as a whole.
0: Being embraced by those that don't necessarily look like you had a profound impact on her as a very young girl
2: but it was not without challenge. I remember um, being in a music class in my elementary school, and the music teacher called me up to the front of the class and she started to play scales on the piano and asked me to sing along. Well, my speaking voice is not bad. My singing voice is absolutely horrific. I have no musical inclinations whatsoever. Um, And... And so I knew something was wrong, and I ended up being brought to tears, but I didn't have clear words for what it was, so I went home and told my mother, who, as the original mama bear, marched up to the school because she understood the stereotype that I was being asked to play out in that particular environment. Then as um, other students were being bussed in, um, I found myself, as a result of some systemic patterns that were built in, being um, pointed to as an exception. And exceptionalism is not a gift. It is not a gift. It is isolating and it's confusing, um, especially to a child, to be treated simply as an exception. So there were certainly um, those kinds of challenges
0: We'd like to thank Habitat for being a Woman Who Startup Radio sponsor. My name is Brad Todd. I'm the founder and designer of Habitat. The client has to like the designer, but they also have to be comfortable telling the designer, no, telling the designer, I don't like this. Here's how I want to fix this. Some clients, they're afraid to say that, so they settle for design that's not up to their expectations or their standards. We'd like to thank Habitat for being a Woman Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more about Habitat at HelloHabitat.com.
1: So at this point, it's like 1963, 1964, right? JFK is president, and her father is president of the National Urban League.
2: And my father's role at the National Urban League was to build corporate relationships. His focus was on jobs and economic opportunity and policy change.
0: She speaks of her father being the right-hand man to many profound people.
2: Uh, He was very close to Kennedy and um, to President Johnson. So, um, my father's a national civil rights leader, and I'll be honest, in high school, I was slapping a group of this enormous Afro, enormous, um, that didn't fit into the frame of my high school, barely fit into the frame of my high school. Um, yearbook picture and I would slap free Angela stickers on the refrigerator I'm slapping you know red, black and green you know stickers I'm hanging posters you know I'm in my black power mode and my father had this wonderful way big guy amazing laugh you know kind of and and I remember his saying to me and this stays with me to this day it's a a core principle for me he said Hey, it's just a sticker, you know? He didn't tell me I had to take it. Oh, he didn't say he disagreed. He didn't say anything. And he said, just don't confuse symbols for substance. Let's be clear that that poster isn't doing a whole lot except hanging on that wall. And I remember thinking to myself, ooh, he's kind of got me, and it kind of stopped me in my
1: tracks, (laughs) you know? And so she talks about this duality of consciousness where she starts to realize that
2: because of my father was considered one of the big four of the civil rights movement, Um, I carried this duality of consciousness of possibility um, within uh, the world and what it means to both hold a sense of self um, and to be grounded in the sense of self and one's own experiences. And for me, that meant as a young woman, it meant as, um, as a young black woman, it meant as one who had had these variable experiences and exposures already at that point in time, and yet also to be respectful and adaptive into this community where I was. Opportunity to travel um, uh, with my parents quite a bit on State Department trips and some other um, kinds of opportunities that were afforded to us, which again kept my world broad but similarly gave me a consciousness at a young age of what it means to be free, um, what equal could potentially look like, what equity might be needed. And that's across gender, and that's certainly across race and ethnicity and language and military status, you name it, sexual orientation, gender expression.
1: At 16, Lauren goes to Europe for a summer internship. Lauren experiences Yugoslavia,
0: something we don't literally have on our map anymore today, and experiences
1: this unbelievable perspective of a new lens of freedom, truly understanding freedom in a whole new way.
2: I had had the confines of Jim Crow, but this was a form of military dominance that was completely unfamiliar to me. So soldiers boarded the train when we crossed um, the border into Yugoslavia, a small group of students, about 10 of us, and um, having conversations with students through translation and all of that, and hearing about the breadlines lines and, you know, being on a list for an apartment or housing or whatever in these countries, and yet also seeing amazing culture, gorgeous old cities, Prague, exquisite, and now is a, a tourist site. But at the time, it felt dark and heavy and filled with tanks and automatic weapons. And that framed for me a sense of freedom, in a different way. It gave me a global perspective of how we intersect with each other and how loss of freedom can ripple around the world.
0: During that time of profound learnings of freedom and politics on the grand scheme of globalization, she also unfortunately experiences sexual assault.
2: Um, In Yugoslavia, um, I was violently sexually assaulted and it was essential to me that I faced the perpetrator, essential. And I was 16 and I cannot tell you why. So magistrates were called, um, some sort of a hearing was held, it's men sitting at a table speaking in a language, there was an interpreter provided, but I wouldn't have the faintest idea whether it was interpreted correctly or not, I don't know. Um, and I told my story, and at the end, I was to sign a statement that I couldn't read, and what I carry today is what it means to be a part of a system that you don't understand.
0: Starting as a teenager, 16 through 18, she had profound trauma in her life, a deep depression that she did not even realize was a deep depression. And she didn't have any help, nor did she have any inclination that she could be or should be asking for help.
2: Uh, it expanded my empathy and my compassion for anyone who is vulnerable. Anyone.
0: We'd like to thank P2BI for being a Women's Startup Sponsor.
1: Kristen Morgan is the co-founder and CEO of P2B Investor. P2BI is different than a bank because we can lend to companies that banks can't lend to. We're part of the ecosystem for growing companies. In a lot of ways, our process is not that dissimilar to what you'd find at a bank, except we have awesome technology that they don't all have. At some stage, you'll be right for a bank. Before then, we can help get you there. We'd
0: like to thank Pdbi for being a Women Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more about Krista's company at
1: pdbi.com. Lauren has lived a lifetime by the age of 18. One year later, Lauren's grandfather passes away, and one week after that, her father is tragically killed in an accident.
2: And it had been a very sudden and tragic, uh, you know, situation that he drowned off the coast of Nigeria, I mean, was not something we could have anticipated. So it was a very challenging time. But I remember coming down the stairs, and I heard this um, voice saying, hello. And I'm like, I'm coming down the stairs in my pajamas. My father just died. Who is this speaking to me? And it was this incredible sort of uh, an array of people um, that kind of captured my life. Although at that particular time, in my grief and my pajamas, I wasn't thrilled that they were there. But what I knew was true, was that they were there um, as an expression of love and respect for my father's work, and that they represented this this array of people and of community that had come together, and we come together in times of loss.
0: Lauren is lost in quite a bit of trauma because of personal experiences added
1: with personal loss. And she heads to college full of expectation coming from a family, like a very successful family and finds herself really in a tough spot.
2: I flunked out of Swarthmore um, because of the series of traumas
0: that I had experienced. Then there is a profound time of deep depression, lostness.
2: And the mistake that I made was that I didn't ask for help. I didn't know who to ask. I didn't have words. I wasn't able to say. Um, I didn't literally have the language I could simply say. I'm a little sad. <laughs> I'm not going to class. I'm not quite sure why. Um, but... It's a lesson that I think is very, very important that I tell young women all the time, is that it's essential to ask for help, whatever that may be. So, here I am. <laughs> I, I, I am um, sad and bewildered. Um, I have disappointed uh, the standards of my family and, in my mind, and I moved to Washington, D.C. Um, for the summer uh, under the auspices of taking a class at Georgetown, um, and, but to heal, and I shared an apartment um, with the older brother of the young man who'd been my best friend and boyfriend. Uh, because I needed to be with someone who knew my story. So he kind of housed me for a while. And eventually one day he and his girlfriend said to me, you need to get out of this apartment. And um, they took me to uh, an event um, for uh, Black Law Students Association at that time. I met a very handsome, charming, charismatic, smart young law student from Colorado. And uh, he said hey, baby, come to Colorado. I said, cool, I don't have a plan. Uh,
1: Within five days of meeting this guy, Lauren decides she's moving to Colorado and ends up in Boulder.
2: On one hand, that could be perceived as my having run away from home, and there's probably some truth to that. Um, But that's kind of a negative spin on it. I ran toward myself. It was not well thought out. It was not a plan. But there was some sort of call, some voice within me, um, that we could say, said, go west or whatever. Um, it was wide open space. Denver was very different at that time.
0: And that's where Lauren finally has an opportunity to really get to know herself, to build her life.
1: It was there that she discovered some amazing friendships and had adventures and, and really, I think, discovered all, like, love for life again.
2: So my, you know, first job was at Fashion Bar at Crossroads Shopping Center in Boulder. Um, I had to learn to drive a stick. My my husband had this little triumph that I wrecked. Um, and I found this community. Maxine would pick me up in her blue pickup truck. And I remember the first time I chewed tobacco. It was kind of like a fun little side thing since I was out west. You know, I mean, I just, I, I had adventure. I had adventure and I learned to laugh again. And I began to build um, friendships. I ended up we we moved to Denver, um, made friends in different ways. I started going to UCD
0: brilliantly, and unlike most people, Lauren applies for a job she has absolutely no experience for.
2: So I applied for the internship at Channel Seven, and I applied to be a producer at Channel Two, a producer. Right? I didn't know anything. I hadn't finished my degree yet. I didn't know anything. And they called me in for an interview. Bev Martinez, um, bless her, because I would not be here today if it weren't for her, said to me when I walked through the door, I had put on like my best pumps or whatever, I love your shoes. I was like, thank you. And she said, "Um, but I called you in because I wanted to meet the person who had the audacity, the chutzpah, to apply for a job for which they have no skills. (laughs) (laughs) And so she said to me, we're going to hire someone else for this production job that you've applied for. She said, but we have an opening um, typing the program.
1: Lauren leverages her chutzpah into an internship, which then allows her to work her way up and become a TV producer of all things.
2: Ultimately, I earned the job I had applied for. Beth told me I had to finish that degree, get it done. And I did. So next thing you know, I am on air. I have two shows. Um, one was uh, a series um, that I produced. There was a woman segment. There was a, an American Indian segment. There was a Latina segment. And then there was a, a black segment. I was the host for the black segment. But I produced the other ones with, that had different hosts. And then there was a show that came on after Soul Train called Black Spectrum. And I interviewed amazing people. And I I mean, it was just, it was fun. Um, And I found myself, I found I like stories, I like people.
1: Here she is producing these television shows, hosting them and she's discovering real connections with other people.
0: And this opens up her whole world about human connection.
2: So anyway, next I get a job and I'm producing at Channel 6. Again, it's community conversation. There's a community thread. It's connecting people, it's stories, it's dialogue that's going on. And one day um, when I was pregnant with my twins um, and had dinner um, at some friend's house and Swanee Hunt was at the house. And Swanee said to me, I want you to run my family foundation. And I said, I can't see my feet. (laughs)
1: <laughs> she gets this out-of-the-blue offer to run a foundation.
2: And once again, I didn't know anything about... I had, I had experienced the generosity of philanthropy throughout my life in some form or another. And so she called me back a year later and asked me if I could see my feet. And I could, as a matter of fact. And so my, my movement into philanthropy... Um, began at that moment, and we found ourselves in the most unlikely alliance, and so we did grassroots grant-making, and, you know, we'd meet amazing leaders who had incredible ideas, and we would believe in and invest small dollars, and we have watched them grow and blossom, the conflict center, I mean, the list goes on and on, and I learned that a gift that Swani and I both shared was that we could sit on the floor, we could be anywhere with people in community and honor and respect their gifts and who they are.
0: Thanks to Steno for being a Woman Who Startup radio sponsor. I'm Lindsay Strickler. And
1: I'm Rex Roberts. And we are co-owners of Steno. We love to say that our work is a love letter to Denver. We love this city and having the opportunity to add to the fabric of what makes us really awesome is just a huge honor and privilege. We do everything we can within our power to support that ecosystem and that infrastructure. And we saw this opportunity as a way to take what we're able to do and how we're able to serve really amazing, smart, creative men and women here in Denver.
0: Thanks to Steno for being a Woman Who Startup radio sponsor. You can learn more at StenoDenver.com. StenoDenver.com.
2: StenoDenver.com. I have to be honest. I sit here today feeling pain for our world when I consider the sense of possibility that I had believed in and the challenges that it took. Um, I find myself wondering, both of my parents are now deceased, but what it is that they would be thinking about the world that we're building um, for my grandchildren and for their great-grandchildren. It's not that we shouldn't be different, but it's that we should celebrate, we should see and celebrate those differences and honor those differences and hear the stories among them and then in that context to find our common humanity. And I think we, we may be forgetting that from a larger societal perspective, not from an individual. And we've got to claim that again.
1: Let's build a world of inclusion, yep. which is what you're saying, which is what I'm saying, which is what a lot of women are out there saying. It's about equality, yeah. It's about equality. It's, this is the civil rights movement of our generation. I think it comes from sheer respect, right? So I respect
0: my mom profoundly. And maybe she had a father that profoundly respected her mother and she respects her mother and she has amazing sisters and she has beautiful daughters.
2: What is breaking my heart now is not me. I am 63 years old, okay? I've had an amazing life, but I'm a mother of three, a grandmother of three, and I feel it is incumbent upon me as a mama bear, as a grandmama, um, to make the world better for them. Because if we can heal today, if we can begin um, that journey together, it's a two and a three generation.
1: Lauren talks about women being the keepers of the culture, that we are the ones that we allow everyone else to be vulnerable Mm. through our own vulnerability. And that's the future. That that's the future. Like you can't we can't have the world, we can't build the world that we all wanna live in without more vulnerability, more focus on family and community and culture. And women are the ones who are ultimately gonna build that.
2: By being with the women's foundation, someone with the National Institute of Health, I heard him speaking at a conference once, and he was talking about AIDS and And he said, there is a specter stalking the continent of Africa. And the only way that we can defeat it is by educating women, because women are the keepers of the culture. And I do believe that if we can begin to create um, true dialogues and storytelling and capture the humanity and the strength uh, coupled with vulnerability, that women have. Because when one looks at the news today, what I'm sure touches you, and I saw tears in your eyes.
0: Yeah, I'm on the brink all day, sorry.
2: I know, it's all right, but all day, all day, day, every day. And it's okay, it's okay. Because also a part of what we see, thanks to technology, the imagery that we see, are mother's hearts who are broken, Mm -hmm. sister's hearts who are broken. We hear more than anything those voices. We hear the call for peace. Um, We hear the calls for healing. We see the embracing that allows men to cry and to be more vulnerable, oftentimes, not exclusively, led by women.
1: Lauren is currently the president of the Women's Foundation of Colorado.
2: It's the perfect culmination for me. I've worked with individual, um, with women of wealth, I've worked in community, I've worked for community foundations, uh, families and children. I like being a change agent. From a leadership perspective, it's hard, it's messy, you make mistakes, I mean, all kinds of things happen, but it's the arena where there is the greatest sense of possibility.
1: The Women's Foundation of Colorado is building resources and leading change so that every woman and girl in Colorado achieves her full potential.
2: I think it is incumbent upon me at the Women's Foundation to bring forward all of my experiences because that gives me the great joy and the privilege of integrating who I am with what I do.
0: It's beyond the dollars. It's beyond the boardrooms. It's beyond really anything other than making it an active mission to improving people's lives. That's philanthropy.
2: Certainly at the core of our mission is a cultivation of philanthropy, uh, of that sense of giving, of generosity, of mutual support. And if you're going to look up philanthropy, the meaning of philanthropy, I think, is technically love of mankind, but we will make it love of humankind. Um, we're mankind and womankind and childkind, but humankind. Um, and philanthropy is about time, it's about talent, it's about treasure, it's about testimonial. And we are all philanthropists. When one embraces another human being, people who who lifted each other um, in times of despair, whether it's physically or through the gifts of food or a hug or a coat or a jacket, or a smile or an embrace, whatever that gift is, they are beginning on the journey of philanthropy. Uh, And I asked a group of young girls once at a school, Harrison High School in Colorado Springs, I did a site visit. And I love to do site visits to our grantees. I get on the floor and little kids stick rubber balls in my ears. That was a really fun one at Florence Crittenton. This little boy couldn't get couldn't stop putting balls in my ears but um and i let him so it was fine um but i was at harrison high school and i asked the girls to name a philanthropist and first of all that word in and of itself was kind of hard you know so we talked a little bit about giving and they all said oprah okay oprah one does not have to be in the ranks of oprah yes she is a philanthropist but as I said to them, because they were collecting blankets for Urban Peak in Colorado Springs, so are you. So are you.
1: She's at the forefront of a movement, right? Much like much like her dad was, you know, sort of heading the charge of the civil rights movement, you know, she is tackling some really important issues like gender equality and pay equality and you know, being able, ensuring that all women have access to opportunities that let them be successful. And she talks about helping to train young girls to become leaders, get them into STEM. I mean, these are huge issues that are gonna shape the next couple of generations. And you can tell when she speaks that this is all she thinks about, and this is her life. And she was like, she was like born to do this.
2: So I'm excited to be at the Women's Foundation at this point in time because I get to bring my experience, which is great, but I also recognize there's a whole lot I just don't know. So I'm really curious about what the possibilities might be. And it gives me an opportunity if people are willing to be entrepreneurial and innovative with me Um, if they are creative of nature, to build upon an existing legacy of almost 30 years and ensure that it is relevant and meaningful and impactful for the future.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Women Who Start Up Radio. We'd like to thank our team our sponsors P2B Investor and Steno Co-working Space. Our producer our ambassador, and our engineer and co-producer Allison Wrights. At Women Who Started Radio, we're writing women back into history by telling the stories of innovative, adventurous female entrepreneurs. It's time to put on those boots and keep climbing.
2: The way one really keeps climbing is to claim one's vulnerabilities. It's by being able to say to friends, um, I need you. I miss you. Um, You know, it's the small things uh, that are self-care. It's laughter. There is nothing I love more than a deep belly laugh. And then there are those days when sometimes on a great day you need to pull up the covers and um, watch Law & Order. You know, I mean, it's whatever fills your soul. Whatever and your body or your mind or your spirit.
1: You can subscribe to Women Who Start Up Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. We love to hear your feedback and your stories. Rate us on iTunes and let us know what you think on Twitter at at WWStartupRadio.